Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. If you would read with me from verse 14 through the end of the chapter for our text this evening. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer or a gangrene, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection's already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your desire to, to use us. We want our lives to be useful for you, our master. So God, would you send your spirit to use your word in our lives this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had that experience where you go to get a pen and it doesn't work? Maybe it's an important document that you need to sign. And you go to sign it, but then all of a sudden... All you've got is a messed up document. Or maybe you go to get your cordless drill and the battery doesn't work. When you need a cordless drill at home on a project, you need a cordless drill. But all of a sudden, it doesn't work and do you have the time to allow the battery to charge? Or the dryer. Have you had that experience? You go to the dryer, I need these clothes, and all of a sudden, the dryer decides to go kibbutz. But we've also had the flip experience to that, where we have a toaster in our house that we got as a wedding gift. Yes, it too had its 15th anniversary. And that toaster's been dropped and all kinds of stuff, but it works. I mean, it just keeps going, right? Maybe you've had a car that just keeps turning over, keeps starting, keeps doing its job. It's been a wonderful faithful car with very little uh, maintenance. Maybe you've had a washer, a washing machine that's just outlived its time. 
The dryer went kaputz, but the washer has continued to be faithful. You can think of objects in your house that are vessels for honor and vessel for dishonor, those that are useful to you. And we're challenged by our text, aren't we, that we would be useful to the master, our father, Jesus, our savior, that he could look at our lives and go, you're useful to me. You're ready to be used by the Lord. And in the text, there's three B's. I don't know if you noticed it, but the first was to be diligent when it comes to the word of God. Be diligent. A faithful worker approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then we see to be useful. And in order to be useful is to be a vessel for honor. And then the last B was be gentle. And I think all three attributes contribute to a life of being used by the Lord. When you're diligent in the word, God can use you. When your life is set apart for God, God can use you. When you're operating in a gentle spirit, God can use you. Think about your life for a moment. If you were to think of your life in terms of of a story that's being written, what's most important about your story? What do you long for in this life that you're living? I think we would say we would want to know the Lord. We would want to worship God. We would want to walk with God. And we would desire to have a life that's used by God however he sees fit. However he determines that our life could be used to bring people who don't know the Lord to come to Christ, to encourage believers. God's word's timeless. So if we'll apply his word to our hearts and our lives, we'll find that we're useful to the master. Let's begin our journey in verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. In this first paragraph, we're challenged to be diligent, a diligent worker of the word. If you're going to have time to log into God's word, there has to be conversations to avoid. And Paul writes to Timothy, he's in prison, in a dungeon, about ready to be executed. Timothy's a young pastor. He's passing on the legacy from Paul to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I I want you there in the church of Ephesus to continue to remind them of these things. And in the Greek, this word remind, it's a regular practice. It literally means keep reminding, keep reminding. If you're a parent, you understand this. Part of our role is keep reminding. I'm going to keep teaching this. This this is important. And so this is something that has to always be on the heart and mind of the church of Ephesus Charging them before the Lord. This is so important that it's before God to not strive about words to no profit. This means word fights. Don't enter into word fights. I mean, sometimes there's a discussion of words. It doesn't even matter who wins, right? We have to be willing to walk away from a fight to go that this is not a good use of my time to evaluate what's the end of this conversation. What's the fruit of this conversation? Don't strive about words that have no profit. There's, there's some things that are worth fighting for. There's things of doctrine and th- things of substance and things of, of morality that that's worth entering into the discussion. But there's other things that really don't matter. Did Adam have a belly button? I could care less whether he had a belly button or not, Right? Now, can God lift a a rock so big, or can he create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Well, I don't know. Who cares, right? 
It really doesn't matter if you win that, that discussion. And apparently there was a lot of these toxic conversations that were happening in the church of Ephesus. And the encouragement was don't enter into it because it's to the ruin of the hearers. There's always somebody listening to a conversation, even if you think they're not there. They're there. They've got that ear taking in that conversation. So here we are fighting over something that doesn't even matter, and the person that's listening is being destroyed. Proverbs 26 verse 4 puts it this way, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. We have to be discerning to go, you're approaching me with foolishness right now. And if I respond to you with foolishness, then I'm going to become like you. That's kind of the bait of these conversations, isn't it? Might be in the workplace, could be in the family, could be even in the church, or where someone's just approaching you in a foolish matter. And there's everything inside of us that says, you know what, I'm going to take you on in this moment. But look out, if you do, you'll become like them. Don't answer a fool in their folly, lest you become like them. When we do this, it frees us up to be a workman in the word. Verse 15, be diligent, underline the first B statement. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Diligent means constant in effort to accomplish something, attentive and persistent in doing anything. So this is the challenge to Timothy as a pastor, and I think it's definitely for pastors, but for every believer. I hope in the next few minutes you see the importance of laboring in the Word. Be diligent to be presented before God as approved. Timothy doesn't need to be concerned what people think about him. He needs to make sure that God approves of him and the message that he's giving. Timothy needs to rightly divide the word of truth so that he can not be ashamed. To know, this is God's message. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking away from it. What is it to have a life that's approved by God? What is it to have a message that, that God approves of? It's to hold to his word. So that's what Timothy's pressing forward. That's why he's laboring so hard, is he wants to present himself to God where God would approve him. It's one thing if you're approved by men, but it's another thing if you're approved by God. And he gives this analogy where he says a worker, and a worker is a laborer. You think of someone who works with concrete, someone who frames houses, someone who works with the sweat of their brow. And this is the idea, is Timothy, labor so hard in God's word that you sweat. Sit down and don't give, get up. Take your Bible and go on a prayer walk and, and pray it through. Get up early in the morning. Stay up late at night. But do whatever it takes to be diligent into God's word. Just as a worker puts time into their work so that you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to second guess, is this the word of God or not? Or is this the message of God or not? To rightly divide the word of truth. This is correctly handling to cut straight, correctly handling the word of God. Here's the challenge. So tonight we're reading a section of verses is to not give my opinion or to oppose my opinion on the word, but to read it and allow the word to speak for itself. It's the job of every pastor and it's the job of every believer as we read the word of God. So 
Say you go to your devotions and you're reading through Proverbs. It's really important to approach it and say, I'm allowing God's word to speak to me. What is God saying? I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to come out with God's message. I want you to think for a moment, what causes us to get to a place where we incorrectly interpret the word of God? We see this happening all the time. I was watching a documentary uh, this week on Waco, Texas, that ultimately fueled the fire for the Oklahoma City bombing. In 1993, April 19th, we see a huge catastrophe that takes place there. A guy by the name of David Koresh. Is this ringing a bell for anybody? Some of you are like, I was born in 1995. No, it doesn't, doesn't ring a bell for me. David Koresh, he got a property in Waco, Texas, where he began to teach the word. He liked to emphasize the book of Revelation, but he also liked to have multiple wives. He had multiple wives. He started what we know to be a cult group or a false religion, but how he twisted the minds of people was through the word of God. He wrongly divided the word of God, and the kind of deception that these people were under is that when the government came to arrest them for illegal activity, they're surrounded They choose not to surrender over many, many, many days. And there was a group that stayed and then ultimately lit themselves on fire. You have over 80 people that died, including 24 children. They didn't let let the children go. And it's like, who follows somebody to that degree? They called themselves Davidians. It's because he presented the word of God wrongly and they fell for it. They fell for it. So for us to get to a place of go, well, what causes people to wrongly divide the word of God? I think there's several things is you will find that they use it out of context. What do I mean by that? So they're not looking at the book that's written, who wrote it, who they're writing to, how it fits inside of that particular book, like this letter, 2 Timothy how it fits into the New Testament and to to the whole scriptures. It's basically, I'm grabbing this one verse and I'm building a theology on it. I'm grabbing this one sentence and then I'm forming what I should do in my life without looking at the context of that book and the context of scripture. Also, as God's given us his word, it's meant to be read and studied in books like Timothy. Like we're getting a greater understanding, hopefully, because we're going through the whole book of First and Second Timothy. You're going to have a greater understanding of God and his word if you read through whole books of the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with going to the Gospel of Mark and reading five verses out of the Gospel of Mark. But I hope at some point in our journey with the Lord, we just go ahead and read the whole Gospel of Mark, right? And while we're at it, let's read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because we need to study it in context. We need to to look at it expositionally, which means to look at it through that entire book. However, I think what causes us to wrongly divide the word most times is that we self-impose our views upon the scripture. We take human presuppositions and we place them onto God's word. So I'm wearing my glasses tonight. Through my glasses, I see you a lot more clearly. You're... I don't have my glasses on. I can still read, but I can't see you very well. But these lenses is my presupposition. It's everything in which I perceive the world. It's my worldview. 
And sometimes when we come to God's word, we read it for what we want it to say instead of what God's word wants to say. And if you come to God's word that way, or you listen to teachers that approach God's word that way, or read books that approach God's word that way, you're going to wrongly divide the word of truth. How could this maybe look or, or happen or take place? Well, God wants me to be happy. That's a human presupposition that we put upon God and his word. I can't find anywhere in scripture where God says, thus says the Lord, I want Eric to be happy. But it's a, something that we tend to believe about God. So since God wants me to be happy, it then justifies some sinful action that's contradictory to God's word. I'm taking my selfishness, my rebellion, my will, and I'm putting it upon God's word instead of reading it for itself. So those are some ways that cause us to wrongly divide the word of God. So is there any hope at rightly dividing the word of God? I mean, is this, is this something that's so hard and so difficult that you have to have a seminary degree and you've got to read commentary upon commentary and the average person has no hope of rightly dividing the word of God? If anybody tells you that, run for your life. Okay? Nothing wrong with, with seminary, nothing wrong with commentaries, but the believer should be able to read the Bible and understand what it says and understand the message of God. To believe something else is an insult upon God's ability to communicate. You can read God's word for yourself and understand what it means. Here is a great litmus test to see if you're rightly dividing the word of God. Does it line up with the person and nature of Jesus Christ? Who he presents himself to be in the gospels. Not what other people say about Jesus. But as I read the gospels, does it line up with Jesus? The person and nature of Christ. Does it also line up with the church in the book of Acts? Would the church of Acts be teaching what I am reading from, from scripture? And does it line up with the New Testament epistles, Paul's, Paul's writings, Peter's writings? And if the answer is yes, you've rightly divided the word of truth. But if the answer is no, you need to throw out that idea and hold on to the word of God. Amen? Rightly divide the word of God. So here's the challenge to all of us, is yes, Timothy as a pastor needs to be this diligent worker, but also each believer needs to be this diligent worker because you can't just believe what everybody says to you about God and about Jesus. You have to read God's word for yourself. I would encourage you to read it. Genesis to Revelation. There's some great reading plans. Set a schedule, a year, two years, three years. It doesn't matter the duration of time, but you have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to read God's word. Start in the New Testament. Start with Matthew. Read through the New Testament. Then read the Old Testament. Do you know if you read two to three chapters a night, you're going to read through the Bible in a year? You might not gain, grasp, we're not going to grasp everything that we read, but we're going to have a much better handle on the whole counsel of God. Be a Berean. You're like, what does that mean? There was a group in the book of Acts when they heard Paul teach they would search the scriptures every day to see what he was saying, whether it was true or not. And God holds them up as an example. So you hear a message here, on the radio, on a podcast. Focus on the family. 
family life, all these great ministries that we know and trust, but we don't just take it because it's on focus on the family. We don't just take it because it's family life ministries. We don't take it just because it's our favorite pastor. We believe it about God and apply it to our lives because it's in the word of God. Also, so you've got three things here. You've got studying the word for yourself, being a Berean, running it through the filter of scripture, but also listen to the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you're listening to someone teach and you're like, there's just something about that that doesn't seem right. And those warning bells start to go off of the Holy Spirit. Dig deeper, look into it. What's the fruit of what they're teaching? What's the fruit of their life? Is this pointing back to Jesus Christ are taking people away from Jesus Christ. And then when you rightly divide the word, you're not ashamed. And you're like, you know what? I know that this is what God's word says. So I'm basing my life upon his word, the teaching of God, instead of a a teaching of men. So we go on to verse 16. But shun, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. So we find this warning on both sides of this challenge to be a diligent laborer in the word is avoid conversations, shun profane and idle babblings. So there's two categories here. There's one that's just profane. It's unholy, it's ungodly, but then there's also conversation that's just idle babble, 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 right? Again, it's fruitless. It's not resulting in anything because it'll increase to more ungodliness. This is some crazy talk up in here at Rocky Mountain Calvary tonight. This might mean a little less time on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Snapchat. Get into the Word of God, you know? There's some idle babble, 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 babble that takes place on Facebook, doesn't there? And it's addictive. It's like, man, what am I missing out on this this news feed? And I'm not against it. It's a great way to communicate with people and get God's word out. But if we were to take a week's period of time and go, how much time did I spend looking at Facebook and how much time did I spend in the word of God? There's a lot of idle babble in the news, isn't there? And it can draw you in and suck you in and spin you in that washing machine. You're on the spin cycle, right? Get addicted to the news. And you've heard me before, encourage, read the news, know what's going on in current events and compare it to scripture. But I got to make sure that I've got a diet that's more filled with the word of God than with the news. Do you think that we're facing a spiritual battle in this? Why is it so much easier to click on the Facebook app than it is to click on the Bible on our smartphones? It's just as quick. The Bible app that I use is Logos. It's blue. It's the same color as Facebook, right? I mean, without even thinking, we pull out these different apps or these sources of news, and, and yet it's so hard to click on the Word of God and spend some time in the Word of God. I think the Holy Spirit's really on to something here. You're going to have to say no to some conversations to be able to say yes to the Word of God. These conversations just increase to more ungodliness. Verse 17 and their message will spread like cancer or gangrene. Hermonius and Philetus are of this sort. What do you do with a cancer? You cut it out. You treat it aggressively with, with chemo. You realize this is going to bring destruction. There were conversations that were happening 
that were so appalling to the Apostle Paul, he's saying you need to make every effort that you're not a part of these conversations, that you shun them, that you close your mouth, that you don't enter into to those conversations because they're going to spread like a cancer. He gives an example of two men that had gone down this road, Hymenius and Philetus. He mentioned them in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. He said, Of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Verse 18, Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they have overthrown the faith of some. They strayed from the truth. Instead of straying from the truth, we want to stay in the truth. To press into God's truth, to make sure we're not deviating from God's truth, even to the slightest degree, even to the smallest amount of, of air. If you're flying an airplane, how much do you got to be off to, to miss the airport a thousand miles away? Just, just a few degrees. Don't stray from the truth. Stay in the truth. Hymenius and Philetus, they're communicating that the resurrection's already passed, meaning that believers are not going to be resurrected to everlasting life. This undermines the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning we're going to follow in his, his footsteps. Because of their false teaching, they overthrew the faith of some. So there's some right in the midst of this church, the church of Ephesus and Timothy, that are false teachers. So part of these idle babblings and those profane conversations that are coming up is in this area of false teaching. We've got to identify it and go, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't line up with scripture. I need to reject it and be able to walk away from it. I love verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. False teachers Idle babblings, does it affect the foundation of God? No. The foundation of God stays pure, stays strong, stays unmovable. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. On the foundation of God is this stamp of this seal which declares the Lord knows those who are his. Isn't that a comforting truth? We're his sheep. God knows us. He knows that we belong to him. He understands the relationship that he has with us. He knows those who have trusted him for salvation. In light of that knowledge, God has an exhortation for us. Depart from iniquity. See, to a great degree, I don't know you and you don't know me. But the Lord knows me, and the Lord knows you. And because he knows us, he knows that there's iniquity, there's sin in our lives that we need to depart from. There's a glorious day in our house that comes once a week. It's trash day. In the morning of trash day, our trash company is really consistent. They become between 11 and 12 during the day. So before I go to work, I... Make sure that the trash is out those, that particular day, unless I forget. What do I do? I go through every trash can in our house. I want to make sure that it's emptied. Get it out to the curb and say, hasta la vista to the trash. 
Now, I have missed a few trash days over the years. It's no fun with a family of six when you miss a trash day because it builds up, doesn't it? And in a lot of ways, our iniquity is trash, and it builds up in our hearts. And because God loves us, he says, depart from iniquity. We take communion regularly here at RMC, and part of the reason for that is we want to keep short accounts with the Lord. Say, God, there's been some trash that's built up in my heart this week. There's been some pride. There's been some anger, some lust, some covetousness, some disobedience towards you. Sin destroys us, hurts our relationship with God, hurts those that we love, destroys our lives. God says, depart from iniquity. That would be God's message for us, his children, those that know him and are walking with him. We're constantly wrestling with sin and falling into sin. And the Lord's saying, depart from iniquity. I know you. The Lord knows those that are his. So let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Part of understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us should produce in us a desire to want to get out of sin. Everybody who calls upon the name of Christ, depart from iniquity, not, not staying in iniquity. This is what Jesus died for. This is what he saved me from. Is it time to empty out the trash? You're going to feel a lot better. God's ready. He's faithful. As we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing. The trash company only comes one day a week, and you better not miss it. But God is ready 24-7 to forgive us of our sin, to wash us clean, to allow us to depart from iniquity. Now we see the second B. It's to be useful. Be useful for the master. In verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Think about it in your house. You've got some vessels that are for, for honor. Your favorite things inside of your home. And I think for everybody, it's different. But then you've got other things that are vessels for dishonor. It, it is the trash can. You don't greatly value that, even though it serves of a practical purpose. There's the almighty porcelain throne that's a vessel inside of our home, but we can't say that it's greatly valued. Uh, there's the pooper scooper that takes care of the dog poop, right? It's, it's a vessel, but it's not a, a vessel for honor. In God's great house, there's vessels for honor. There's vessels for dishonor. What do you want to be? In verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter or cleanses himself from those things that are dishonoring, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. There's a lot there. A vessel for honor that the master can use. You're that faithful toaster. You're that dryer that works faithfully, that car that, that keeps running. You're useful to the master. The master's looking at the lost, looking at encouraging believers. He's going, ah, you're ready. You're ready to be used by me. And it says sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctified is set apart for a particular use. Similar to your fork. That is set apart for a particular use. And you're not, this is gross, I'm going to prepare you. You're not going to use your fork to change the kitty litter. And then go back to use it at the kitchen table. Nasty, right? 
I mean, who would have cats to begin with? They don't go to the bathroom outside. I mean, you're going, it's just why? It's not worth it. And see, you've been saved by Christ. You have been set apart. If you want to be used by the Lord, we can't be going and playing in the kitty litter of the world. We got, we got to get out of the dung heap and get into his will. He's forgiven us. We want to be ready for his use. We have to walk in holiness. We're useful in that, in that way. And then it says we're prepared for every good work. Nothing is keeping us from being used by the Lord. When you drink out of a hose in a hot summer day, you always taste a little bit of the hose, don't you? And when God wants to pour his living water through us, we don't want to taint his message. We don't want to taint that, that living water. And that's why God would desire for our lives to, to be cleansed. Don't get the wrong idea. This is not that you're perfect or that your life doesn't have a past or you're saying, these are the sins I've committed. God could never use me because the glory of the gospel is he does forgive us and he transforms and changes lives. And Paul's life is a, is a testimony to that, but it is the importance of walking with the Lord and walking in holiness. Be useful. Part of being useful in verse 22 is flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness and faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Catch this, flee in order to follow. Flee in order to follow. Flee what? Flee youthful lusts. It's not that youthful lusts go away when you get older. They turn into older lusts at that point. This is a life that we realize sin is chasing us. Lust is chasing us. So every day of our Christian life, we have a predator that's wanting to destroy us. So we flee. We flee lusts, youthful desires. What are lusts? It's longing for something that God hasn't provided for us. Yes, it's in the sexual arena, but it's in every other area of our life as well. To go, God, this is what you've provided for me. I'm going to be content in that instead of longing for others. Timothy's walking with the Lord. Timothy's being used by the Lord. But Paul, as a wise man, seeing so many fall away from the Lord, says, Timothy, you never stop fleeing lust. Don't give it too much credit. Don't give yourself too much credit. It's a predator, so choose to flee. Choose to run away. But then it's to pursue. So we're fleeing in order to pursue what? Pursue the Lord. So fleeing in and of itself is not enough. We've got to pursue after God. Pursue righteousness. This is godly character. Faith, we're pursuing trusting God. We're pursuing love like we talked about this weekend. We're pursuing peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So we flee and we follow in fellowship. We can't do this Christian life alone. You think of Peter and John. Peter denied the Lord. John remained a faithful friend. They're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is making them breakfast. And John says, it's the Lord. That's what Peter needed. Are you walking in this Christian life with other brothers and sisters in Christ. With them, be at peace with them and walk in accountability and walk in fellowship. I hope you found relationship with other believers. If you're looking for it inside of this church, I'd encourage you to go to men's and women's Bible study on Tuesdays, get in a small group, begin to serve, 
Think about believers that live on your street, that are in your workplace, and say, I've got to make time to be in relationship with other believers. Can you think of somebody in the Old Testament that wasn't prepared for every good work, that wasn't useful for the master? Probably several examples. I think of Samson. Remember the story of Samson? Born with great potential. Before he was even conceived, God spoke of what he desired for Samson's life to be. His birth, the way that he was conceived, was God's hand. He was born with the understanding he was going to be separated to God. Never having his hair cut, not drinking wine, taking a Nazarite vow, not touching a dead carcass. What does Samson do? He rebels against the Lord. He goes down to Timnah and he seeks a wife of the Philistines against his father's counsel. That doesn't go too well, but he doesn't learn his lesson. Then he has a relationship with a harlot, and the text kind of reads that this is what he does on a regular basis. They surround the city, and Samson's like, oh, I'm bigger than the consequences. I'll just rip the gate off of the city. Then he falls in love with Delilah. Here's your Valentine's Day message. Right. As I was reading in my devotions this morning with Samson and Delilah, in Judges chapter 16, there's a title over the, the chapter. And it says, Samson and Delilah. And I just felt the Spirit of God encourage me and challenge me, saying, Eric, you do not want a Delilah connected to your name. When we think of Samson, we think of Delilah. That's going to affect the work that God wants to do through your life if there's sexual sin that's connected to your name. If there's a Delilah or a Danny or a Daniel or something that rhymes with Delilah connected to your name. Instead of fleeing sexual sin, instead of fleeing lust, he flirts with it. Uh, I'll just keep it on the line here. I'm bigger than the consequences. And I would assume for some of us this evening that instead of fleeing, we're flirting. Maybe it's in the sexual arena. Maybe it's in some other arena where God hasn't provided it, but we're just kind of entertaining those thoughts. What would life be like? I'm, I'm going to just keep that on the line. I'm going I'm to flirt with, with this. That flirting led to friendship with Delilah. And as I was praying through and just looking at the life of Samson, what I thought to be missing through his life was a passionate pursuit with a relationship with God. So not only is he not fleeing sexual sin, but he's not pursuing after God. He's not longing to walk with the Lord the way that David desired. So Delilah sets up this trap for him. The elders of the Philistines are going to give her 1,100 pieces of silver apiece each elder paying to Delilah. Sets these traps. Samson wakes up every time, then falls for the trap again, till eventually he tells her the secret. If you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any other man. Sure enough, his, his hair is cut. Wakes up, the strength's gone. He's arrested. And it says that the presence of the Lord, the Lord departed from Samson, and he knew it not. 
He knew it not. That's how callousing sin can be, is he wasn't even aware that God's presence had departed from him. They plucked out his eyes. Why did they pluck out his eyes in God's economy? What was his problem? What was the area of his life that was never dealt with before God? It was his eyes. It was the lust of his eyes. He would see a woman and then make sure that he knew her in an ungodly and unappropriate way. So God very systematically, strategically says, Samson, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to pluck out your eyes. You're going to lose your eyesight. He knew great freedom. He knew great power. He seemed to be able to leap over every consequence. But God, in his humility of Samson, made him grind wheat, this huge stone that he would push around every, every day. God was gracious to Samson and used him throughout his life in spite of his rebellion. Just because God is using you doesn't mean that you're right with the Lord tonight. At the end of Samson's life, he calls out to God and says, God, would you allow me to have revenge on the Philistines because they've plucked out my eyes? God gives him strength. He pulls down the pillars. He dies. Philistines die as well. But we say this about Samson's life. What if? What if he would have walked with God? He was set apart from the very beginning. Imagine the kind of useful tool that he could have been to the Lord. But instead, he missed that potential, that God-given calling that the Lord had placed upon him. You may say it's too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. Begin to flee and pursue and follow. Follow after the Lord. Follow after that godly character and fellowship. And then you can be that tool that's useful in the Lord's hands. The last thing that we see tonight is be gentle. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Third time in our text that Paul warns about conversation. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Servant of the Lord. Saying, Timothy, I want you to be a servant of the Lord. I want you to see your life as not your own, but your life exists to glorify God. So as a servant of God, it should affect our behavior. And God doesn't want us to be quarrelsome. He doesn't want us to be someone that's rushing into a fight. doesn't want Timothy to be in that place where he's quarreling and he's fighting and he's going back and forth with someone. But in contrast to that, to be gentle, to be gentle. Jesus is gentle. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think a lot in this text is the question of how. How do I study the word more? I've tried and failed. How do I walk in greater white righteousness? I've tried and I've failed. How, how do I be more gentle? I've tried and I've failed. You know what the answer is? It's not how, but who. It's Jesus. Come to him. Walk with him. Ask him for help. Spend time with the gentle one, and he will make us gentle. I can't just impose this change upon my character that says, okay, I got to be gentle. I got to be gentle. I got to be kind. I got to be kind. Oh, darn it. I'm not being kind. You know, I'm not being, I'm not being gentle. Far greater to spend time with the gentle one, to spend time with, with Jesus And allow him to make us more like himself. God uses gentleness. 
It's his tool. It's his master tool that the world doesn't value. Give it a try. There's a hostile situation. Lord, I'm not going to put on the boxing gloves. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind. And the Lord will use that kindness. It goes a long way. Able to teach and patient. The servant of the Lord's able to communicate truth, share what God's teaching you. Be patient, have endurance with people. And verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. This doesn't mean that Timothy's a pushover. It doesn't mean that Timothy doesn't confront with truth, but he does it in gentleness and humility. Why humility? Knowing that we too are going to need correction. How do I want to be corrected? How do I want someone to approach me? Then I'm going to approach them in the same manner. What's the goal? What's the heart of that confrontation? That God would move in their life to grant them repentance that they would know the truth. The goal is always remedial, never punitive when dealing with a brother or sister in Christ. We're not looking to bring punishment or bring consequences We're coming on behalf of seeing them restored, being aware of our own struggles with sin. In verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. St. Timothy, understand the spiritual element here. Satan is attacking. Here's this brother or sister in Christ that's in sin. Go to them. And confront them so that they can come to their senses. Sins deceive them. They're not themselves. And they've found themselves in the trap of the enemy. Doing the will of the enemy. It's so easy to forget that that's what's at stake. And there is that spiritual element that takes place. For us tonight, first be diligent. Be diligent in two areas. In avoiding certain conversations. Can you think of some conversations right now? that you need to avoid politely, lovingly, not as a jerk, not arrogantly, but just not taking the bait. You know, maybe it's a really simple conversation that you can control called Facebook. I can shun that pretty easily. I could spend 10 minutes there instead of an hour and a half in a particular day. I'll cut it out of my life for, for a while. Maybe it's not as easy as being on Facebook or turning off the news, but it's a particular individual. I want you to just practice this, okay? Ready? All right. Just talk less. Don't take the bait. I know they're trying to get me into a verbal war. Lord, you know I want it. You know I want it. (laughs) Their thinking is flawed. I could win this one. Bam! Right, But there's no profit. It's a waste of time. It generates ungodliness. They're not open. Okay, I need to walk away. I need to find a way to politely end this conversation. Be diligent in the word. May God stir in us a hunger for his word. If there was ever a time for the need of God's word, it would be now. God, have your way and cause us to be diligent. Labor in the word. Find time. Make an appointment. Read it. Study it. Underline it. Know it. And then be useful. Flee to follow. Are you fleeing lust? Are you flirting with lust? 
Flee in order to follow. Follow righteousness and faith and love. Pursue godly character. What would that look like to say, God, I want to be useful for you. So Lord, please fill me with your spirit to pursue godly character. And then be gentle. Be gentle. Am I a gentle instrument that God can use? What happens if someone rightly divides the word of God, starts fleeing from sin and following godly character, but they're not gentle? And they're taking around the word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword and lopping some heads off. (laughs) You know, no, be gentle. Be a gentle instrument. May God make us a gentle instrument. I want to take you back to verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2, and then I'll be done. Look there with me in your Bible. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace for salvation is also the grace that's there for us as believers to deal with sin, to develop a hunger for God's word, and to be gentle. To come before the Lord, say, God, I'm broken, and would you be gracious to me to cause change in these areas of my life? Know this, God wants to use you. He wants to use you. He's got a plan for your life, just like he had a plan for Samson. And through his grace, he can use you in a way that will blow your mind and bring glory to himself. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, as we come and celebrate communion tonight, we do want to keep short accounts with you. We think of the trash that's removed from our homes, apartments, and we know that there's trash that's collected in our hearts. God, tonight, this very night, we want to meet with you and depart from iniquity, to confess it to you, to to forsake it. And we thank you for your grace that forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, would you be magnified, your work upon the cross, your death upon the cross, to provide forgiveness of sin and freedom from sin. And we desire to be vessels that you can use, vessels that you can pour your life through. So would you meet this in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.